We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry. Committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com slash safety or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 25. That's right. We are a quarter of the way to 100 episode uh, episodes of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co-host, Joe DeMeo, as we get to this feels like another wave of free agency. The Mets have made some of their smaller moves. They've definitely made some of their bigger moves. And now everybody is sitting and waiting for George Springer to sign. Uh, the reliever market has picked up a little bit. Obviously, there are still potential trades on the table and even in-house extensions being talked about. So we have a lot to go over today as Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco were both officially introduced uh, to the Mets fans, the Mets media. There's just so much excitement around the team right now after that acquisition. But I think everybody is also starting to look ahead because the work is not done yet. So we'll get that into that today. Joe, how are we doing? Are we even just a little bit more pumped right now after actually seeing Lindor and specifically Carrasco wearing Mets gear? It excites me a lot more, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm all about press conferences. I've always been, like, I remember the Pedro Martinez press conference, the Beltron press conference. Like, I've always been into them. So the fact that this happened with some significant players and the jersey with Carrasco and then the, the hat with both him and Lindor, I'm just going to throw it out there. So Steve Cohen does follow me on Twitter, which is scary. Let me be very clear. I am scared that Steve Cohen follows me on Twitter. I, I don't want to get eviscerated uh, at some point by him. But what I will say is four days ago, I tweeted the Mets should send Lindor and Carrasco hats and jerseys to wear in their press conferences. And Steve Cohen didn't follow me earlier in the offseason when they signed Trevor May and James McCann. No Mets gear. Steve Cohen follows me. I ask for Lindor and Carrasco have Mets gear, and they do. I'm, I'm not, it could be a coincidence, but I'm just saying. Hey, it was a great idea, and especially Carrasco looked really good in that orange and blue. And I think I'm with you. It, it adds a different level to the presser, especially since we're kind of robbed of during these times. You know, the guys holding up the jerseys on a stage together or just, the, you know, everybody meeting together in person. It's different times. The, the Zoom calls are absolutely, you know, they suffice. But when it comes down to it, it I agree with you. It doesn't have necessarily have that same feel. And it in no way has that feel, you know, when we see Lindor on the field in spring training. When on opening day we see Lindor, you know, making plays and, and really wearing a Mets uniform and batting in the heart of the lineup. And, of course, eventually when Carrasco makes his first start. But a lot of excitement around there. And we've talked a lot about both these guys. We did the emergency show. It was almost an hour long. We're really never going to stop talking about these two as long as the offseason and, obviously, the regular season go on. But, you know, as Mets fans, by nature, and uh, any sports fan, we're wondering what's next. And... The reliever market, out of all of the markets in the MLB free agency period, has actually had some really good movement. I think when you look at the Mets, their first move, obviously Trevor May getting a pretty good deal. And now Liam Hendricks, essentially what is a four-year, $54 million deal to the White Sox. I know the fourth year is a, a buyout or an option, but the money's guaranteed anyway. So at the end of the day, that's a, that's a big contract 
uh, for maybe one of, you know, definitely one of the most reliable relievers and closer types in all of baseball. But still in this market, it's, it's pretty surprising to see that. And now it feels like all eyes are on a guy like Brad Hands, And it's it's been like that for a while. Sandy even said if they were in the door when somebody like him hit waivers, that one-year $10 million contract, which is really laughable for a reliever of his status, you know, they would have they would have considered that. And it's kind of shocking to see that nobody put in that claim. And now the reliever market is, is healthier than a lot of us expected. While the position player market really hasn't moved at all. I think if Springer had even gotten close to the money he desires, he'd already be off the market. DJ LeMayhew, there's all kinds of reports out there that he's he's very, very unhappy with how the Yankees have handled negotiations, and he's going to look elsewhere if things don't get better soon. So out of all things, it's the reliever market. And, and Joe has said on the show since the beginning, you really don't buy a bullpen in free agency. You add a piece here and there, but you don't just buy one. It's been healthy, and now you look at it, there's been reports and rumors of the Mets interested in Brad Hand on a one-year deal. Joe, what? why is the reliever market moving like this? And two, do you think that the Mets, if it's a multi-year deal for Hand, they're just out on this because of how much money they do have tied up now and going forward? So I, I think it's just a matter of Liam Hendricks is ready to sign. For that and money, yes. <laughs> ultimately, yeah, for sure. That The money makes it easier. But I, I think you see teams just kind of playing the market to the point of who's ready to who's ready to play. And, you know, the Mets obviously did that with James McCann. They did that with Trevor May. And what's really interesting, and I took this from Jeff Passan uh, from his article today, that obviously there's a ton of free agents that are still available. But interestingly enough, despite the whole market issue going on, the players who have signed have done quite well, and not all from big market teams. I mean, obviously Hendricks cashed in big with the White Sox, which I don't think I've ever seen a contract like that, where the buyout equals the amount of the option, just if they choose not to pick up the option, uh, it's basically like deferred money. The, the buyout, so $15 million would be over some period of time. I don't, I don't know what that time period is. But usually it's, all right, Liam Hendricks gets three years, $39 million, $15 million option. And then if they buy it out, it's $3 million or, or whatever. So kind of an interesting contract. But James McCann cashed in. Uh, Mike Miner cashed in. Carlos Santana, Drew Smiley, Robbie Ray, Adam Eaton. Like those are guys that got above what they were expected to get because they were willing to sign. So it, the market's very interesting, but in regards to Brad Hand specifically, I think the Mets are going to, I said this on Twitter too, that watch tomorrow, they'll sign someone to a multi-year deal, make me look stupid. But I think the Mets are primarily focused on one-year deals for the rest of the off season. Would it shock me if there's, Another one, another multi-year deal? No, but I'd be a little surprised if it were Brad Hand because I think there's suitable left-handed relief options that are available on the market for a lot cheaper, and you could get them for one year. And Hand also could be seeking a closing opportunity. Is that available in a place like Houston or a place like Toronto? Like eventually, it's kind of like Steve Cohen made this joke a couple weeks ago on Twitter. Like someone's gonna take our money at some point like eventually someone's going to take this toronto money i don't know who it's going to be you know maybe it's springer maybe it's hand but like eventually someone's going to want going to you know want the money and toronto's going to be the best option i mean listen that's it makes sense right the mets have struck first the two big teams we've heard this whole time have been the mets and the blue jays that are supposed to be in on everything and even if they're not their agents wisely are going to have it out there that they're in on everything. And now it, it does make that a little bit more difficult to believe at times with the Mets where, you know, they made a huge move, right? I think Lindor and Carrasco combined for about $44 million. And of course you have to factor in that. I, I'm very convinced that the Mets will do everything they can to get the Lindor deal done before spring training really takes off. And that, you know, they'll get him locked up to a mega deal. I mean, mega, mega deal, maybe something nearing $300 million. So basically, when you're looking at it, 
the Mets' likelihood, when you factor in that we need a Conforto extension, they might extend Syndergaard, I don't really see them signing another player like a Springer for a five-year, you know, $28 million a year type of thing. And I guess we can get into this here. It just, not only the annual average, right, the value of it, because that significantly increases your payroll and you're not trying right now to skyrocket over the luxury tax, but the fact that the Mets aren't just going all in to win a World Series this year and if it doesn't work out, they're like, oh man, this is looking pretty bad for us. You know, that three to five year window is real. And when you look at that three to five year window, you have to look at years four and five in that window and say, hey, we don't we don't want bloated contracts that we don't love. I mean, I'm not saying Springer won't be a good player at age 34 or 35 or 36, but do you want to be paying George Springer $28 million at age 35 or 36 and you let Michael Conforto walk, who's 27. It, these are the things that all play into this, where it goes back to Joe's consistent point. The Mets wisely right now are searching for those one-year deals because, quite frankly, when all that money wipes off their books at the end of the year, it gives you a lot of flexibility to navigate and move a lot of different ways. So, it, And Sandy's a really smart guy. Obviously, Porter's a really smart guy. Uh, they're well aware of this. Joe was telling me before we recorded today, he was listening to Sandy on Heyman's podcast, and you know, Sandy said that you have to be even more disciplined when you're dealing with having a bigger budget because you can you can make a big mistake or you can get reckless and you have more options to choose from and you have to choose wisely, all of those things. So I think when you look at it, Hand is a really perfect fit for the Mets in terms of being a big piece of the bullpen. But are you going to go out and give Hand a three-year 30 – go out and give Hand – um, a three-year, $30 million deal, which I, I would assume he's looking for something in that range, at least in that range, when the bottom line is you do need to save some money for the future. You have other needs. I, I mean, we have really, really hit the point home that they do need to take a flyer on a starter. And, and I saw even Decomo tweet back at you today, Joe, that, you know, he really agrees. He, he thinks these guys, you know, whether it's Kluber whether it's Paxton, these guys, one of them, you're going to take a flyer on to be that fifth or sixth kind of starter, and you don't know what you're going to get because of injuries, but those guys are going to be structured in a one-year deal where you can take that risk, and it also kind of fills a need, and we didn't even get into center field, which we will follow up this conversation with center field, but right, I feel like that's how we're looking at it right now, where we would love George Springer, and there is a chance that maybe, hey, his market's just not as hot as we thought. It's the Mets and the Blue Jays, and, you know, we've heard he's nowhere near $150 million, so he might be signing a $125 million deal or something. But once again, can the Mets afford to still ink Springer to a big deal and then get Conforto done, get Syndergaard done, maybe get another bullpen piece, maybe get that fifth or sixth starter, you know what I mean? There's just a lot of variables here where as much as we have the emotional attachment and excitement and we'd be thrilled with the Springer signing, you can see why the long-term thinking baseball guy would opt to go in a different direction that solves a lot of shorter-term needs. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when, when you look at acquiring Francisco Lindor, like you said, we're talking about a maybe 300 plus million dollar extension. It's going to be it's going to be huge. And Robinson Cano comes back on the books. And if you want to make Springer work, th- frankly, it it's going to take a lot of work. One, you're going to have to move some money right now. The 100% the Mets, I, I will say this, they won't say it, but I'll say it for them. I'd be stunned if the Mets reached or exceeded the luxury tax this year. And the reasoning behind that is looking ahead to next year when the new CBA comes up, we don't know what the penalties are going to be for exceeding. They would be a repeat offender. So we don't know if there's going to be more excessive fees for repeat offenders. And then we don't know if the luxury tax will go down next year. There's no lock that'll go up. I know you talk about with the NFL that the NFL salary cap might go down next year. The MLB luxury tax go down. And if that's the case, then you're basically locking yourself into being over the tax next year. And then you're a repeat offender. And who knows what the penalties are? Or 
you'll be scrambling to get back under it. So really, it, it, let's play that you do want to make Springer work, just for the sake of it. If you want to make Springer work, you have to move money like a Jairus Familia to make it work for this year. And in that case, you're probably trading a pretty pretty good prospect to get someone to take that money off your hand. So you're lessening your farm system to do so. You're then losing your second round pick in next year's draft when you sign George Springer because he received the qualifying offer. So that's another factor. You're hurting your farm system in more ways than one. And then contractually, even if it's $125 million, let's play on the light side. I, I think it's going to end up more, but if you want to just play and say 5 125 25 a year, you're going to have to defer a lot of that money and you're going to have to defer that money for a long period of time because that's really the only way that you're going to get any kind of real luxury tax breaks on your payroll is significant deferrals over a significant period of time. I, I, I'm unable to tell you exactly what savings could be because that is some math that people way smarter than me figure out, but it's, it's really based on how much is deferred over how much, how long of a time, what's the interest rate on it, like all that stuff plays into it. So it's a really complicated thing. So when I paint it like that, I'm sure some of you will just say, who cares? I want George Springer. But I'm sure some of you that go, wow, that's that's a lot of work and probably not worth it for you know just the right now results. Be happy we got Lindor. Be happy that we got Carrasco. And the Mets are going to make more moves. You know, like you said, a guy like a Corey Kluber, James Paxton, make a ton of sense for this team. With the fact that you're lined up right now with DeGrom, Stroman, Carrasco, David Peterson, Steven Matz in theory, Noah Syndergaard coming back at some point, you have the ability to take that risk on Kluber or Paxton that can potentially provide excellent, you know, returns on your investment. And then you could be looking at if they don't even need to bounce back to their prime. If they just bounce back to be good, you're looking at a rotation that sends David Peterson to Syracuse. And at some point, if all things break right, you could have DeGrom, Stroman, Syndergaard, Carrasco, and Kluber or Paxton. That's a rotation that is World Series caliber. So you have to weigh if going all in on someone like Springer is worth sacrificing other things at this point, and we were the George Springer podcast. And if they get him, we're going to do an emergency pod and be pumped that they added George Springer and Francisco Lindor. But I, I just I just think after Lindor, it, it makes it tough. Yeah, I mean, well, before to be fair, before we were the... <laughs> George Springer podcast. We were absolutely the Francisco Lindor podcast. That is true. And, and it's, That's you know, true. once again, it's not, you and I would love to see George Springer on this team and we still think he's a good fit. It's just when it comes down to it, you just wonder if you can make it work. That's really all it is. And you bring up a great point that clearing Familia's money is a, a big time short term helper on the flip side, a long term. And I, I hate bringing it up because it's like such a, you know, it's really just a sore that doesn't need to be addressed. But, like, Cano's money is going to be back on the books next year. And it's it's a gigantic problem. I hope they find a way to do something with it. I, I don't even know if they'll want him on the team at that point. There are so many variables with Cano that do not need to be discussed right now in terms of him playing on the Mets. But the bottom line is that money it absolutely is a conversation into the current events around the team. And I think another thing, I'm definitely guilty of this, and I'm sure plenty of people listening to the show are too. As Mets fans, we are so used to, you know, going into the season with just a million holes on the roster, or they get created quickly because of injuries. And I think with the addition of Steve Cohen, I've almost trained myself to be like, okay, now we could build the perfect team. And I think at the end of the day, there's just not a lot of teams in any sports that are built like that, right? You're going to have your – you might not have holes anymore. Like if the Mets sign Jackie Bradley in center field, I wouldn't call center field a hole anymore, but I would call it a weak spot in the lineup. And assuming that Bradley really isn't a guy that's going to replicate his 2020 season, which is an outlier at the plate for him in his career, 
but we're just so accustomed to thinking this team now can be built to perfection, and, and maybe they're just not ready for that yet. Because quite frankly, these new guys, or for Sandy, a returning guy, but Porter, they haven't had the chance to supplement this team with prospects. <laughs> I mean, there's just there's not young guys coming up that can fill a hole here or fill a hole there. You know, they they have plenty of young players that have been hits and panned out. You know, a Dom Smith, a Pete Alonzo, you know, Jeff McNeil's not really super young, but once again, a guy that panned out. But they don't have these prospects that are 20, 21, 22, 23 that, oh, we could see this guy called up and he can make an impact on the team. So, you know, we do preach patience on this show, and I just think it's something that, will have to have to deal with if they don't get Springer and that's okay. There's that's not, it's not the end of the world there. But if they don't get Springer, Joe, let's talk about the secondary center fielder market because when you look at this, there is absolutely a chance that Brandon Nimmo is starting in center field for the Mets next year. I'm not and you know, maybe they get a fourth outfielder type that is a super defense replacement guy for him in later innings because they feel good enough about their offense that you, you can roll with that. You can have a fourth outfielder that comes in, you know, you bump Nimmo to left if Dom's in left or whatever it may be, and this center fielder might not have a good bat, but you, you can live with him playing the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings because your offense is deep. You're hoping to be ahead in a lot of games, you know, on and on and on. But assuming that they do find what they deem is a solution on the secondary market of center fielders, Joe, I know we've talked about Je- uh, Jackie Bradley. I know we've talked about Kiermaier. Uh, where are you at with both of them right now? And are there any other options that are maybe outside the box in a trade that we haven't heard of or just somebody that you like to take a stab on, a flyer on in this free agent market? So free agency-wise, it's there's nothing. There's nothing really there outside of Jackie Bradley. I mean, unless you're a Brett Gardner guy, but he's more of a left fielder at this point in time. And just kind of a slap hitter. So I don't know if I'd really be too into going there. But I think the only way that Nimmo is the center fielder is if there is no DH. If there is no DH, then Dom Smith will... Sandy said it straight up that, you know, Dom Smith has to be in the lineup. And we don't think he's an outfielder. But if there's no DH, then he is. (laughs) That's just it. He'll play left field and... Nimmo will have to play center because they're not going to bench either of those guys. Like they're they're not going to sign a Jackie Bradley Jr. if there is, if there's no DH. I don't think, because then you're committing to Bradley financially to the point where I mean, even if we don't think Jackie Bradley's going to do that well financially, even if he's an eight nine million dollar a year player, like that's a guy you're playing. You're not paying someone eight to nine million dollars to be your fourth outfielder to come spell Brandon Nimmo late in games. You're paying him to play. And so the DH is obviously imperative in this decision. Unfortunately, we have no idea when MLB is going to be nice enough to tell us whether we're having it or not. And that hurts the Mets in their pursuit of a center fielder because what if, if there is no DH, you might be looking... You know, in the Jake Marisna, Kevin Pillar area, like you said, like a, a backup type guy that, you know, you can just filter in late in innings to sub out for Nimmo. But if there's a DH, you can play Dom at first, DH Pete, move Nimmo to left, and go and pursue a center fielder that you're comfortable starting. We've talked about Jackie Bradley a lot, like you said. He's obviously a, a perfectly good option. He's a top five to seven center fielder in baseball defensively and gives you a little something offensively, very streaky hitter, but he'll give you some pop, steal a few bags. But under the radar guy that I want to talk about is, it was just loosely mentioned by Mike Petriello from MLB.com. He does a lot of stuff with baseball savant and, you know, the advanced statistics there. But he speculated that maybe the Cardinals could look to trade a guy like Harrison Bader. And Bader's going to be a guy that, you know, if you're unfamiliar with him, you're probably going to go on baseball reference right now, and you're going to go and look, and you're going to go, ew, he can't hit. (laughs) Um, And he is not a very good hitter. But what I will say is he's a local guy. 
which we know that the Mets do value for better or worse. And in 2018, he OPS 756, had 12 homers, 15 steals, hit 264, 334 on base. He's really, that, that's his highest batting average for his career. So he, he's kind of more of a, his career is 235, 322, and a 720 OPS. That would be an average season for his career. So if you tell me I could get a guy like Harrison Bader, and let's just say he gives me a 720 OPS, which is below average. Let's be very clear. That's not, that's not a good number, but it's not awful. But his defense is where he's going to shine in a huge way. In 2018, he was worth plus 13 outs above average per baseball savant in center field. He was the same in 2019. 13 outs above average puts him in the top four of outfielders defensively in all of baseball the last you know couple of years. And he was plus four in the shortened season of 2020. So don't really put you know, too much into that, but you're talking about a big time fielder that has a little bit of pop. You know, he'll, he'll hit you over 10 home runs. He'll steal over 10 bases, but he's not going to give you much average. He's not going to give you much OBP, but he's one of those scrappy hustle kind of guys. And the fun part, he's only projected to make $1.3 million in arbitration. You know, not trying to be cheap here, but if you tell me that with all the offense that the Mets have right now, if they can pull off your guess is as good as mine as to what the return would be. I, I wouldn't pay a lot, obviously, because he's not so much of a hitter. But if you tell me they could swing a trade of, I don't know, maybe one of the excess right-handed relievers on the 40-man and a so-so prospect, that could be worth the flyer. You bat him eighth or ninth and, you know, set it and forget it and... You have enough offense to supplement it, and now your defense up the middle is incredible with McCann behind the plate. You know, there's some speculation as to how great he is behind the plate, but he's certainly a big upgrade over Wilson Ramos because, you know, he seemingly can move. Uh, Jeff McNeil's a very good second baseman. Lindor's an elite shortstop, and Bader's an elite center fielder. So if you tell me I could pull that off, I think I could be into it. I, that's the first I've heard that name. And when you do a quick Twitter search, you know, there's obviously been a lot of good conversation. I guess I've been missing around this. You know, I think the Cardinals fans hate, hate him. him. There's no question. Car Cardinals fans hate him. Um, I don't know exactly why. Every time I see him, he's kind of a fun player to watch. But I know that they have a, a real big time prospect, Dylan Carlson, who's a center fielder. And that's kind of, I think, where Mike Petriello was going with the just general concept, no sourced information or anything, just like, hey, they're probably looking to make room for Carlson in center, so maybe they move Bader. Um, so I don't know if they will or won't, but if they're willing, I think that's one of those kind of creative outside-the-box I mean, a New York City kid, you know, he's only 26. Like you said, speed and defense, which is something I have consistently preached on this pod. It was why, of many reasons, one, I was very excited about adding Lindor because a lot of people would always write the Lindor argument against him was well, they don't need a shortstop well Lindor brings speed and defense at a premium position so it is a huge upgrade and I'm not saying Bader would be the significant upgrade but he brings something that they lack in center field and that's speed and defense so and, and quite frankly when a guy is that young I mean the book's not closed on him just because he hasn't hit a ton or he's streaky or whatever it is he's very young I mean what if we said that about Dominic Smith after one year, right? These things happen where where guys break out. So that's a trade candidate I would personally be very interested in. I don't know what the cost would be. Like you said, it, it sounds like it might be kind of low. Um, or, or if he's even, if he's a guy that they're ready to move on from, you know, just because the fans hate him, who knows how the organization is feeling. But the fact that you did back that up with, hey, one of their top dogs is, is a center fielder, well, then it kind of makes you you know, raise an eyebrow of, hey, you know, maybe they want to sell this guy now before there's just no leverage there at all. So I like it. And I'll be honest with you. I have pretty, pretty good confidence in Porter and Sandy 
to do outside-the-box moves that we don't discuss on this podcast every week. Ironically, and I, I believe it was actually a, a fan question, too, we did discuss Carrasco and Lindor as a trade package a couple of days before the trade actually happened. But I think even our return on that was very high. The bets got them both for way lower than we thought. So I think they're going to be a pretty creative duo, which is exciting. And and that is definitely a creative way uh, to address center field. And, and quite frankly, they might have to if they don't get the deal done with Springer that they're hoping for. But let's get to some questions um, because they'll cover more of what's going on with the Mets and the offseason. And you guys have been sending really just great questions week after week. It makes this so much easier when we look at what's sent. And it actually makes it hard to pick the best three to five questions or ones that we know we're not going to cover at the top of the show. So the first one is from Noah Gattel. If Lindor signs long-term, does that push Ronnie Mauricio to third base? And how soon do we expect him to be ready to contribute at the big league level? I will kick this question off by saying, um, you know, as somebody that has had many prospect conversations with Joe, he has already hinted that with or without Lindor, Mauricio's long-term future might actually be third base. I know he is expected to be uh, a pretty, you know, big dude for an infielder, um, you know, lanky right now, but tall. And a lot of times with those guys, they do end up moving to a corner. So Joe, this seems like kind of a, a seamless transition anyway, even if they didn't get Lindor or an expected transition, I should say. hundred percent. I, I, Mauricio in theory could be a shortstop. He has good soft, natural hands. He has enough arm to play the position, but I think he's going to outgrow the position physically. And I thought third base was likely his long-term home anyway. So this just, I wonder if they make the move now. That That's what's going to be the interesting question is, do they start him at least getting some reps at third? Because obviously in the low minors, you're not thinking about the major leagues yet in, in regards to you know what he's going to help. So let's play him at that position. You want to make sure he's comfortable so that way he develops offensively because you know, you've know you seen many examples of people that struggled offensively because they were struggling in the field. So I think they'll keep him mostly where he's comfortable at short, but it wouldn't shock me if you start seeing him get some starts at third base. And that certainly could be his long-term home, no question, if, the, if he you know pans out to be the player that the Mets and scouts hope that he is. As far as being ready to contribute at the big league level, uh, on my list on SNY TV, I put, I believe, 2023. I'm trying to scroll down. Do, 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 do. This is good audio. And, and he'll only yep. turn 20 this spring, so he's a yeah. very, very young player. I put 2022. That that might be wrong, to be honest. <laughs> it might be 2023. Soon. But, <laughs> but, but he will be. So ultimately what's going to happen is Mauricio will be starting this year in high A. So it really depends on how he does. If he performs in Brooklyn, because I, and I have to remember that because I'm going to call St. Lucie high A a million times. Brooklyn in high A, uh, if he performs there, he could hit double A this year. And if, the, if that's the case, then my 2022, you know, will line up, but yeah, 2022, 2023. So it's something that could be in the not not too distant future if he you know continues to develop. Will that Brooklyn team be pretty loaded on on some of the best Mets prospects? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, here, yeah. but I, I yeah. feel like that's going to be you know I haven't I didn't go I did go to a Cyclones game uh, two years ago. It's obviously a blast, and I, I that might be worth going to see if they have a couple guys along with Mauricio, right? Yeah, I think you'll see Brett Beatty there. Oh, that's uh, Mark, awesome. Mark, Mark Vientos will probably be there. There's a chance that Matt Allen's there. Um, I don't know if they'll push Alvarez there. I think Alvarez will end up in St. Lucie. But, yeah, no, there's going to be – that's that's really where the bulk of the Mets farm system is right now, is low A and high A. And that's why the farm system where we stand today is not thought of so highly. Whereas a year from now, when these guys are hitting double A and performing, then they really, you know, potentially could jump on to, you know, more national radar. Because I think the Mets have talent. It's just talent that hasn't played a lot of professional baseball. So 
they just don't get the recognition. So we'll we'll see where they are kind of a year from now. But yeah, I think the Brooklyn team has a chance to be a fun one. That's awesome. A, a good note for all Mets fans, especially the ones that are in the New York City area. The next question from Mets fan 0431. Besides Brad Hand, what lefty reliever could you see the Mets bringing in? How would you rank Jake McGee, Tony Watson, Justin Wilson, and Chasen Shreve? So those are great names. Those are probably the best names left. I'd also throw in Jose Alvarez, who spent time with the Phillies, because uh, he was oddly mentioned as someone the Mets might have interest in in like November. So I'm just keeping him on the radar. But as far as ranking those guys, that that's probably it. He probably wrote them in order. McGee, Watson, Wilson, and Shreve. Shreve's a guy that I'd offer a minor league deal to come back. And if he doesn't want it, okay. Maybe, you know, that's what it is. But I actually put on Twitter about Jake McGee the other day. Someone that really excites me. Uh, yeah, at least as far as a left-handed reliever could. But he was awesome for Tampa Bay, you know, through age 28. And then he got a big four-year deal from Colorado. It was the year they signed him and uh, Shaw. Bri- Brian Shaw? Brad Shaw? The Shaw from the Indians, and everyone oh, was Brian mad Shaw, that the yeah. Mets, Brian Shaw, mad that the Mets didn't get him. He stunk really bad. And <laughs> McGee also wasn't so good in Colorado. He had, he had a good 2017, but otherwise he had he had some trouble. And then in 2020, he went to the Dodgers, and his numbers kind of line up with his best days in Tampa Bay. So I wonder if you know he was just a product of pitching at Coors Field and that uh, impacting him. Because in 2020, in the shortened season for the Dodgers, he posted a 2.66 ERA and a with a 1.67 FIP, which implies that his 2.66 ERA was unlucky. He should have had a lower ERA than that. He allowed 6.2 hits per nine innings, walked only 1.3 per nine innings. So he doesn't, you know, and that's always been his thing for a career. He's, you know, mostly... Uh, upper ones to mid twos walks per nine so that he's not a a wild arm and he jumped up to 14.6 strikeouts per nine that's a lot emphasize more use of the fastball yeah mcgee's a guy that like mlb trade rumors doesn't even have him in their top 50 free agents i'm not quite sure why uh but he didn't make their top 50 list so to me mcgee screams a one year two million bucks three million bucks maybe and you solved your left-handed problem uh he has he has some reverse splits uh recently so he he's not your prototypical lefty specialist but i look at it kind of the other way lefty specialists are a thing of the past i don't want a guy i don't want a left-hand reliever that can't get righties out so mcgee is a guy that's firmly on my radar i don't know if he's on the mets radar but if Steve Cohen followed me for Mets jersey at press conference advice, you know, I, I wouldn't mind if he took my left-handed relief advice too. I sit here and look at this, and, you know, I'm not a Justin Wilson guy, and, and I think he obviously wasn't really bad for the Mets. He just had some bad moments. You know, it's it's interesting to see what his price would be to bring back, considering in that 2019 season in 45 appearances, I mean, a 2.54 ERA. So – it's interesting to see if they do keep dialogue with him. Now, my question after looking at this, which is obviously a thin market, are, am I crazy or does it feel like they might actually be relying on Jerry Blevins to have a role on this team? Uh, it's possible. We'll see kind of what they do with the market. They're, they could get a better left-handed reliever than Jerry Blevins. Basically, all those names that uh, Mets fan 0431 named, except maybe like Shreve and Blevins are probably you know, take it or leave it. But I'd rather have McGee, Watson, or Wilson over Blevins. So it's possible that Blevins has a role, but that would imply that the Mets didn't play in the left-handed relief market, which Porter, I think, was on the right. It was Porter or Sandy. I can't remember which one specifically said left-handed relief. Yeah, Porter has emphasized arms. Yeah, so when he specified left-handed relief, that... Put in my, I'm sure it put in some Mets fans' heads, ooh, they're going to go get Brad Hand. To me, it's like, all right, they're probably going to go lower level, but left-hand reliever, if if they're willing to actually say the position publicly, that makes me think that at least it's it's something that's on their radar, and you know we'll see if they're able to pull the trigger on any of these guys. 
Last question of episode number 25. This is from Superjar Kenobi. Do you think the Mets can realistically sign Springer, extend Lindor, and extend Conforto? I know it would go over the luxury tax, but could it actually happen if we sign Springer? Is that waving goodbye to Conforto? Joe, I know you've you've talked about this a lot on Twitter, and I know you feel like it could be, but what are your thoughts on this? So they could. Sure, why not? Steve Cohen has $15 billion. But would that happen? I don't think so. I I firmly believe that with Robinson Cano coming back on the books, with all of the money... So f- let's just play a game here. The Mets right now where they stand is $90 million on luck- for luxury tax in 2022. Not too bad on the surface, but... You then have Francisco Lindor on the books for thirty million AAV, maybe even more. Take you to one twenty. All right, bring George Springer in. Call it twenty five a year AAV. All right, you're at one fifty five. Bring Conforto back. Let's call it twenty three. Just have a number. You're at one seventy something. And then you have arbitration for Edwin Diaz, Brandon Nimmo, Dom Smith, J.D. Davis, Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonzo, Seth Lugo, and a bunch more. It's a They have a really big arbitration class. A lot of guys become first-time arbitration eligible next year, like Alonzo, McNeil, Tomas Nito, Luis Guillerme. And, you know, some of those are smaller money, obviously. But if you do that, you will likely be over the luxury tax in 2022 without making a move at all. And that's problematic. Yeah. And then, like you said, you'd go over the tax right now. There's no, it'd be very hard for them not to go over the tax right now while getting Springer. So I, I just, I just don't see it working. The math isn't there. The logic of just baseball players, they need a center fielder. Springer's from the area. They have shown interest. He apparently has reciprocated some interest. So there's something there. But I think the Mets chose Francisco Lindor. And, you know, they'd have to choose Michael Conforto or Springer. And I don't know about you. I think I know your answer. But I'm picking my, I'm picking Michael Conforto over George Springer every day of the week. And it's George Springer. Close. And Springer's a stud. Let, let me be very clear. Like, I don't want to... I don't want us to turn it from the George Springer podcast to the hate on George Springer podcast because Springer's a stud. And if the Mets had him, it'd be amazing. But I I would not want him at the expense of Michael Conforto. If No, there, there's so many variables yeah. there, age being the big one. Right. If Robinson Cano didn't exist, this conversation's different. Thanks, Brody. I was Thanks, just going to say <laughs> yeah. the big elephant in the room – or the big point, the bomb sitting here, I mean, is is Cano's money. It's Because if that doesn't exist, it's amazing how awful this trade was. And it, it actually makes me angry every time I think more and more how bad it is. That, I mean, Kellenic not being a part of this team's near future, which would have solved a significant hole. But besides that, the Cano money is the exact issue here. Because if Cano's money is off the books for good, which, by the way, it's absolutely absurd in baseball that you could be suspended that many times and your contract remains guaranteed. I just, I'm all for the players being protected. Uh, That's absolute garbage. So that's a huge issue, number one. But number two, thanks to Brody, they're stuck with this money that, quite frankly, would be Springer or Conforto's money and, and probably, you know, ties your hands a little bit. So... I think when you look at it, though, Joe, I think you nailed it. I think that, you know, we like Conforto a lot. He's a homegrown stud. He is young, younger, significantly younger. You know, it's a, it's about, I think, three and a half years younger than Springer. And I think that really, really matters a lot. Now, you know, will Boris be a pain in the butt to deal with? That's something the Mets probably know already, and we don't. We don't know because it's it's gonna Conforto is gonna have to get involved if things don't go right. If Boris Boris loves his clients getting to the market because he knows that there are only so many stars that make it to the market in baseball every year, and no matter how bad the times are or the MLB free agency climate looks, the stars get paid. 
or they there's the allure to him that they could get paid more. When Conforto, quite frankly, strikes me as a guy that is pretty low-key. Uh, he is pro- one of the most respected people in the Mets clubhouse. Mets fans love him. And I don't really think he wants to rock the boat in his career and be like, oh, just I, I want an eight-year deal. I want to be Bryce Harper, get an eight-year mega deal, and go play somewhere else. Like I, He just doesn't strike me as that guy. On the flip side, he absolutely deserves to get paid big-time money. And he's going to get paid big-time money. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But I would rather leave that option on the table than start to really mess with it right now. And if that means the Mets can't get Springer, then then that's what that means. And in all of this conversation, we haven't even brought up Noah Syndergaard because we know dang well, Joe, that if Sin- we don't know what it'll look like, but if Syndergaard comes back in June and he looks really good, or the thing about Syndergaard I always say is, and I know the sample size is small, but he was an absolute dog in the postseason. He is a dude on the mound that feeds off the crowd, feeds off the energy, and is not afraid of the big moment. I just think if Syndergaard comes back, and it might take a little while because he's been off the mound for a very long time, but if he comes back and kind of looks like the guy that we know he could be, I mean, you're not letting a pitcher in his prime like that just walk to free agency after they just did that with Zach Wheeler. And and he's going to get paid if he comes back and shows anything. Of course he is. If he shows anything, because his stuff, teams are just going to be like, if he comes back and he's throwing upper 90s, that's going to be enough to get him $20 million plus a year. He'd turn like he's a guy that you would make the qualifying offer to, and he'd turn it down to go to go see the market. Uh, and the Mets are gonna have to make decisions in their rotation because th- there's a reason the Carlos Carrasco move is so big because he's under control for next year. He's insurance. Yeah, so the Mets are, have him regardless. But you know, obviously Marcus Stroman's another one that I think most just assume is on a one-year deal, and maybe that's that ends up being the case. But what if Marcus Stroman's really good this year, like? You obviously can't sign him and Syndergaard, but it at least gives you a potential fallback option. So if Syndergaard does price himself out or decides, you know, he just doesn't want to be in New York anymore, you know, maybe a guy like Stroman could be re-signed. But Syndergaard's going to get some coin, and if he comes back and shows anything, I need that money to come from the Mets because I do not, I I do not, and cannot. <laughs> you know, deal with Syndergaard winning a Cy Young for the Astros in 2022 or whatever. So that, that, like you said, that's another one. So the Mets have a lot of internal decisions that they have to make. And I'd be really hard pressed to ruin my internal decisions with an external one. I will emphasize because I didn't want the tone of the show to just go off the, the, the worst case scenarios or the doom and gloom. It is great that we are having these conversations that these conversations, because you know what they would have been a year ago or two years ago, these conversations would have been, are the Wilpons going to be able to keep Michael Conforto? We know they're going to let Syndergaard walk. We know this team's not trading for Francisco Lindor. Like, the conversations have changed so much where these are good conversations to have that you feel confident that they're not going to let a homegrown star like Conforto walk we felt confident they would make a splashy but smart move like trading for Lindor and Carrasco. Like these are really, really good conversations to have. And thank God for Steve Cohen that we actually do get to have them because if the Wilpons had stuck around or A-Rod got his hands on this team, uh, it would have been an absolute nightmare. So I just want to close on that positive thought. But Joe, I will leave the review of the week to you. And of course, your closing thoughts for episode number 25. Yeah, another good episode. And, you know, we're getting into the season where you're going to see more people come off the board. I think the Mets would be would be wise to be a little patient here over the next, you know, I don't need them to jump right now. But over the next two, three weeks, at some point in time, there's going to be players on the market that badly want a job before spring training. So I'd like to see the Mets sit back and kind of really capitalize on that part of the market. But like you said, review of the week. Uh, thank you all so much for going on to Apple Podcasts and rating us five stars. And I see that it's a lot of five stars, so that means we might be doing something right, Connor. That's that's pretty cool. But uh, a, a lot of a lot of reviews being left too. So. 
I read every single one of them. Uh, unfortunately, I'm only picking one for this week, and I just picked one that I that I like to read, and it, it's from JMK Mets 92. He said, I, I've been looking for a more regular Mets podcast than you guys deliver. It's down the middle, not too homerish, and not self-hating Mets fandom. You provide regular content at a time when many other pods have slowed dramatically. The info, especially on the farm system, is insightful. Keep it going and LFGM. LFGM is absolutely right. JMK Mets 92. But that that's ultimately what I envision this podcast being because, you know, I listen to other Mets podcasts. I'm friends with other podcast hosts. So, like, I, I know and like these guys and girls. But, you know, there's some podcasts that, you know, everything is rosy with the Mets because, you know, they, they choose to be optimistic. And then there's podcasts that are like, I hate – I love to hate the Mets. The Mets, you know, make my life miserable. And they've done it to all of us for some period of time. But ultimately, that was always the goal of that So Mets to me was to provide honest, straight up analysis, good, bad, in the middle. And, you know, there's going to be moves they make that we love. And there's going to be moves that they make that we don't love. And when they when they do something we love, we should say it. If they do something we don't, then we should say it. So that, that's really how I always envisioned it. So I'm I'm very glad to see this review and see that that's being recognized. Well said. It, it's been fun. It's just, you know, it, it really is such a change of pace for us. Um, you know, your knowledge of the prospects and, and just that the fans are excited over, you know, and we're excited over the moves that the team makes and that they're so prominent in the offseason now. And and because we believe that'll make them prominent during the regular season, right? And there's going to be losing streaks where we're still going to get on and press record and talk about, hey, the Mets have dropped the last five of seven, and this player got hurt, and this stinks. But I think the point is uh, the times where they've won the last five of seven and Jacob deGrom is in line for a Cy Young and Francisco Lindor uh, looks like the gold glove shortstop we expect him to be. And Dom Smith and Pete Alonso and Michael Conforto are hitting home runs at an alarming pace are really going to outweigh those times going forward. So I know I'm really excited. I've been just dying for baseball season right now since this trade. I mean, even before this trade, but now that this trade has gone through, you know, I, I know there's a, a lot going on still in the country where we don't know if there will be fans in the ballpark and we don't know how many fans there necessarily will be in the ballpark. But I, I am excited for the day, and hopefully it's very soon with vaccine, vac, uh, vaccines rolling out, that there will be a lot of Mets fans back at City Field. And it will be loud. It will be insane. I can't wait to see it. But a great episode. Um, and we'll be back next week for episode number 26. We'll catch you then. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com slash safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get on Team Shack with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.